Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host, as always, Phil Landides, and I want to thank you for taking the time to join us for today's show. On the episode today, we have the man himself, UFC Strike Force MMA legend Kung Lee. I'm so glad Kung was able to join us. It was great to reconnect with him after all these years, and he was generous with his time and his insight. We talk about his transition from kickboxing into MMA. We talk about his early days in Strike Force, and then we really key in on his his title winning fight against Frank Shamrock, which we covered on last week's episode. But he delves into the details surrounding that fight and some of the real intricacies, and it was just it was great to get his insight. I'm really appreciative of him delving into all that and sharing it with us. We also talk about transi- transitioning into the UFC, uh, as well as his class action lawsuit against that organization. We also talk about Scott Coker a little bit. So there's a lot that we get into his movie career. There's so much to get to. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right. On the line with us, joining us for today's show is former UFC and Strike Force star Kung Lee. Kung, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm good. Good to reconnect with you. Been a long time, but I'm glad to to jump on the line with you. So uh, if you're ready, let's uh, let's jump right in. Let's do it. All right, cool. So I want to go back to the beginning of your career, specifically focusing on your transition from kickboxing uh, into MMA. And I'm not I'm not sure if you know this, but I I'm sure you, <laughs> you probably don't remember this, but uh, I actually was there in person for the very last Strike Force kickboxing event, which you main evented. Um, I, I think you fought Brian Ebersol, if I remember correctly, but I was there that night. I was the only journalist, so to speak, although I was just a production assistant, but I was the only one that was there. I remember Ernie Race Jr. was there. Jerry Rice was there. And they had this announcement on the program about uh, Shamrock versus Gracie MMA coming to to San Jose. And I was super excited about that. And then start hearing that, you know, Kung Lee, and I was definitely familiar with your name. He, he's going to be part of that card. So kind of take us back to that time. Uh, I, we interviewed Javier Mendez. He told the story on this podcast of running into you at a chiropractor's office over on Meridian Avenue in San Jose and discussing you transition, transitioning uh, into MMA from kickboxing. So is that, you know, is that how you remember it? What made you want to move on to this new sport after having such success in San Chow and kickboxing? Well, first, uh, you know, I can't remember the order, right? I know Javier was telling me you've done everything that you could do in, 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 in the Sanda type kickboxing, you know, it's time to give MMA a try. You should really do it. I can talk to Scott. And I said, well, Scott's my good friend too. So um, I, I think between Javier Mendez and Scott Coker, they they talked me into doing MMA, and um, so I started training at I started training at Javier Javier's gym, aka, and then uh, you know I guess the rest is history. You know, did you now did you have Ush at that point, or was that did did you kind of branch that out of aka after a while? Uh, well, you know, um, I, I I had my own gym called you know like um, you know the just Kung Lee's Martial Arts. And then uh, I was training over at AKA and eventually I took on the name AKA for a bit. And then, um, then I started doing a lot of movies and I just, uh, you know, kind of like um, said, uh, you know, I got to pick cause I'm fighting and doing movies and running a gym. I just couldn't, I couldn't, you know, manage all three at once. So I just ended up uh, dropping the gym and focusing, um, you know, um, after my fight career on just the movies. 
Okay. All right. Gotcha. All right. Well, let's, let's jump back again, but you, you fought pretty, pretty often early on in your strike force career. You progressed pretty nicely. It appeared, did you feel that you were going at the right pace? Did, was it the right opponents? And you, did you feel good about your development? Did you want to go faster? Did you want to go slower? How, how do you feel about how that went early on? I just actually let my camp handle it. You know, um, if they want me to fight three times a year, I, I would fight three times a year. If they want me to fight once or twice or whatever, um, you know, I, I fought a lot up until when, after I won the title, then um, I, I started getting hit up a lot, you know, in, in the Hollywood area. So I figured I couldn't fight forever. So I had to take advantage of the opportunities. It wasn't like them having me to come out to meet them and just to talk to them about a movie career. They're offering me parts. So, you know, I, I, ju I jumped on, you know, that um, train and, you know, uh, left fighting for 18 months, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're going to get to that. That was after the, uh, the Frank fight, but uh, you, the Tony Fricklin fight, I think had to be a, a really important kind of milestone or marker in your, your career. It was the first MMA bout of yours to go past the first round. How important was that to your development as a fighter kind of going into the, the deeper waters? Um, you know, um, Javier uh, told me before the fight, you know, uh, Tony's a season um, that, you know, um, just uh, pick and choose your shots and, you know, um, uh, make him fight your fight. So that's, that's kind of what I did, you know, and he was, he was tough. He didn't go down. Like I, I remember him, uh, Tony went down, I believe in the first round with um, a little, uh, a check hook. Cause I was yep. catching him a lot with the kicks. And then, um, and in the second round, he was trying to turn up the pace and trying to, you know, force me into up, you know, up against the cage, but, my footwork was really good. So I just, you know, I felt like, uh, you know, just stick to the game plan, stick to what Javier says, pick them apart, you know, and then uh, when the opportunity is there, you know, never look for the knockout, but when the opportunity is there, knock them out. Yeah. He, you hit him with like, it was like a little right hand uh, and, and, and he went right down. And I, as I was watching the fight not long ago, I, I was like wanted to yell at him to shoot in for a takedown or something. Cause you were just, killing him on the feet and he just never did, but uh, it was definitely a very, a very good fight for you. Uh, but once you got that win over, over Frickland, a, a potential matchup with Frank Shamrock really began to be openly discussed. Uh, you joined commentary at the first playboy mansion show and you and Frank had, you know, a little, little funny back and forth there. And obviously there was a lot of respect between the two of you after you beat Sammy Morgan, uh, you know, you, he, it's kind of weird. Like you kind of sort of challenged him, but it was more, he kind of challenged himself on your behalf after the fight. Uh, but you made it clear that this was just, you know, respect and that sort of thing. But uh, where, you know, was there anywhere that you felt like Frank had you beat going into the fight? Was there anything you trained for specifically as far as, as facing a, a legend like Frank Shamrock? No, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I had nothing to lose and I, I'm, you know, confidence was on my side you know against sammy morgan i started having some uh, uh elbow issues and you know i mentioned it like to scott like after my fight i was going to get surgery on my elbow and then um so you know I, I think you know uh i you know i felt like i didn't expect uh frank to you know kind of call me out after my fight you know obviously i went th uh, three rounds and i just two weeks before that i came back from a two-week uh, film shoot with Channing Tatum and uh, you know uh, I, I didn't expect to shoot that long I, I thought we were, I was just gonna go over there for three days and just uh, shoot a quick fight scene but they they wanted to uh, expand my part and make the fight bigger 
and uh, make it more dynamic. So I ended up being over there for two weeks and I didn't have anyone to train me. So I was just shadow boxing in my hotel room, doing cardio. Then when I came back two weeks later, I fought. So uh, I felt like, uh, you know, wind it really bad. And when I came back the, 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 the week, like the, the one week where I got a chance to train hard, Javier thought, what, what, what happened? I'm all, it was like, what, what they did was they, they, sh- they, the last week I was in uh, New York, they, they, they changed the times um, to everything was filmed at night. So my clock was completely off. We mm-hmm. filmed all night long. And, you know, then during the day I couldn't sleep. Then by the time I got back, I was so tired. And then, uh, you know, I came in for training. And then I remember uh, me and a couple guys, uh, Javier brought over to just help, you know, help me train. I was like, I felt winded. And then it, it, it carried over to the Sammy Morgan fight. And then um, I think Frank was like, ah, oh, I, I got this. You know, so, <laughs> he saw an you know, opportunity. Yeah. And then, okay. you know, I, I couldn't believe the, the fact that it would happen again because, you know, um, I would have never taken the role. I, the, the, the fight against Frank was like, uh, yeah, definitely number one on the list. But then, you know, I I auditioned for martial law for the movie Tekken and just because uh, that was like my favorite game. But I, right. I didn't expect them to to, um, you know, like, you know, keep pushing the date. Then three and a half weeks before be you know um uh three and a half weeks before the fight was when they said i would finish right but i told them you have to shorten up the the weeks i i can only go out there for one week so they did it and they rushed the fight scene and it didn't turn up like that was like one one of my worst fight like in the film world you know being martial law and i was upset about that but the fight against frank shamrock was way more important so i i was just like you know, even though, you know, the fight coordinators, you know, didn't understand the game or they they didn't play the the character enough and they were having the other character, Jin, do like martial laws move. But, you know, for me, I, I just take direction in the film. I'm not going to try to, you know, you know, step on any toes. So I did what they asked me to do. I got back. I had 21 stitches because, you know, the, the lead actor clipped me in the mouth and gave me 21 stitches. Mm-hmm. When I came back, I you know, I was actually that week that I took to go film that um, um, that part for martial law really helped me because I was already training so hard. My cardio was like, I felt like if I didn't have that week, I would have peaked too early for, you know, for, for the Frank Shamrock fight. And, you know, it actually worked out great. I wasn't even tired at all going into the third round and we were like exchanging. So, you know, uh, Frank clipped me with some good shots, rocked me a little bit, but like, I felt like, I was in such good shape that I was a- able to weather the storm. Yeah. You, you actually kind of answered a, a bit of a mystery. My co-host and I had, had kind of discussed was you did look pretty winded in the, after the Sam Morgan fight, despite the fact that you really dominated that fight. So I, I now we know why and it, it makes sense. And, and Frank kind of stepping up afterwards when he's supposed to be more of a, a broad, broadcast commentator and kind of taking that time to, kind of call you out was, was a little surprising to us as well, but now I understand it makes more sense. Um, in your training for the fight, uh, did you, I, it sounds like you didn't have a lot of time um, to, to really as much time as you normally would, but you did have Javier Mendez in your corner who had previously been Frank's trainer. Do you feel like that gave you any sort of ad- advantage? Did you, you know, did, did he, you know, kind of give you any knowledge based on his training with Frank previously, or was it just, got to train for Frank and there wasn't really anything special as far as the training goes having Javier. Well, um, one thing uh, that was, that Javier really helped is like, you know, um, expect the unexpected. Right. Um, 
he says uh, Frank's a legend because he's defeated a lot of great fighters and he's he adapts well to each style. You know, he's fought some really good stand-up guys. He's fought some really strong guys. He's fought some strong wrestlers. He's, he's fought a variety of different kind of fighters. So I can't underestimate him. I just got to go in there and, you know, fight my fight. And like, usually when I fight my fight, I, um, yeah, I do very well. And I just remember in the first round, I, I tried to do a wheel kick, Frank, came underneath of it, bumped me over, tried to put a, a, a guillotine choke on me. And I remember coming back to the corner and, I, and Javier was a little bit upset. He's like, I told you no wheel kicks, no spin stuff. And I, I'm uh, because it was so loud. I was like, I didn't hear you. you know, he's like, no, we talked back in the locker room. I'm like, okay, sorry. You know, so I just, I, 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 I kind of, uh, tone a different tempo into the second round. And then uh, Javier's uh pick him apart your your punches and your kicks are too accurate if if you apply them you're gonna hit something's gonna connect and he's gonna he's gonna feel it and then and if he can't weather the storm then you can open up and do your fancy stuff but no more fancy stuff so i just stayed on the kicks strikes and angles and then uh, if he did get me down r- scramble to get up yeah you know, so so did you, I mean, it sounds like you weren't surprised then because Javier told you to, to expect the unexpected, but, but Frank stood with you. I mean, Frank in the Baroni fight, his knee was blown out, so he couldn't shoot. So he did have to stand with, stand up with a stand up guy. But in your, your fight, I was really surprised that he chose to stand with you despite what Javier said. Did it surprise you that Frank stood with you as much as he did? Well, you know, like everyone says, they're injured before the fight and they try to make an, make an excuse. But like I saw, I watched Mike's um, training with Goldberg, right? And because Goldberg came over to my gym and the stuff that he was doing. And then, um, you know, um, you know, I, I also had some friends that was training because uh, Frank uh, took on like, like uh, this gym owner. She was like a, uh, like a physical therapist also. So she, you know, like she kind of, she got upset because I moved out of her gym and I opened up my gym. Um, and then, um, and then, uh, so I had a couple, uh, you know, guys over there told me that, you know, Frank's training fine. He, they don't, they didn't see anything wrong with his knee. You know, he, he was, he was all, you know, he was bending it and he was like doing all kinds of, you know, groundwork. And, you know, so what people don't realize is I'm a high school, all American wrestler. I wrestled since the time I was in seventh grade. I went to the a the au nationals in seventh grade i went to the au nationals in eighth grade and actually took second in greco-roman and second in freestyle and then then as a freshman you know i i wrestled year round you know and wrestled hundreds of matches so uh, you know every year so it wasn't like you know i i would go in and and frank can easily take me down because he was already having a hard time taking me down when we trained together uh, you know, I, I probably gave up one or two takedowns and that's because I threw him and he rolled me, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I knew that I was going to try to pick him up and slam him or hip throw him or anything. Cause then, then you, you get into these scrambles and Frank's amazing at the scrambles. So I just made sure that, you know, if he t- knocks me down, my job to get right back up and fight the knee bars and ankle locks, you know? So that's what I prepared for. And, you know, um, uh, you know, I think with, with um, the impact that Frank was receiving, 
from my kicks and my punches and my movement, uh, it, it was hard for him to gauge a takedown on me. Well, he said in his post-fight interview that he actually thought you cracked his arm in the first with a kick, like cracked a bone in his arm, and then you completely broke it in the second. So you mentioned in the first round, it didn't sound like you realized that you had damaged his arm like that in, in the first round. So did, did you realize that you'd broken his arm? Were you, you know, were you zoning in on that? Well, you know, in the first round, when I kicked the arm, I knew I hurt his arm, but I didn't think I broke it or had a fracture or whatever. So I, I knew he liked to block like if I was throwing a hook or a punch at him and he would roll and slip with, 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 with one arm. And then, but he was doing that when I was kicking. So I was like, Ooh, you know, uh, you know, I, I know how hard my kicks are. You know, I've, uh, you know, I used to mess around and break two by fours, but you know, um, uh, yeah, I'm just going to keep kicking at his arm. And then I know uh, that he shook his arm out a, 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 a few different times during the fight. And so I told, I told, I told myself just aim at his head. He's got to block the kick, you know? So um, then, then I was going from the body to, to the head, the body to the head and I didn't want to kick low too much so he can so he couldn't get that takedown but you know like um you know we worked a lot where if someone grabbed your leg after a kick they they already um took the the, the blunt force of the kick so all I had to do is turn turn my hips and kick out and you know get away sure I'm going to expose my back but at the same time when I kick out I'm going to jam him with you know, these mill legs of mine, you know, and the, yeah, so I, I was very confident that I wasn't worried about being taken down, um, except when I did that wheel kick and he ducked underneath of it and kind of like bumped me and I flew in the air and I landed and, I, and the next end I saw that, you know, that, or I felt his arm go around my neck and I grabbed the, the wrist right away and I, hmm. I peeled it off right away, you know, and I stood right back up. And then he smiled and I smiled back, you know? But, <laughs> yeah. He was, he was on you like white on rice. He was all over yeah. you with that. So, well, the, you know, obviously a massive win. The fight did very well at the gate over 16,000 tickets sold. It was the best attended strike force event since the initial, uh, you know, Shamrock versus Gracie event gate of almost $1.2 million. What did looking back now, what did that fight do for your career? Did, did you see this title win as a, a passing of the torch in strike force? It wasn't more like the passing the torch because we were both the same age um, at the time. I just felt like, you know, because he broke his arm. Uh, well, I broke his arm and it was such a bad break. You know, I, you know, I, I, I knew that when he, if he did ever come back, you know, um, sometimes you're not the same when you break the bone that way, you know? Um, uh, so, I, I didn't know. I just, I never thought about, you know, like passing the torch. I, I, I usually believe that I create my own path with my faith in God and, and the journey that he wants me to go down, the, you know, you know, that, that he has in store for me, you know? So, you know, it's like, you know, back then I used to think a lot, Oh, it's my plan. It's my plan. I got to plan this. I can plan that. But in the end, you know, throughout my MMA career and as it goes on, like when I, suffered my first loss i i realized okay you know i i understand you know um you can make plans if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen you just got to keep keep on the path and figure out what you know kind of what what god wants you to do so mm -hmm. how how he wants you to learn you know so well that's let's it. 
Yeah, let's let's get into the rest of your your career. Uh, just a few more questions, and I'll let you go. You didn't fight again for well over a year after this fight. You relinquished the Strike Force title, and this was due to movie projects. Like you said, you had a lot of a lot of opportunities and offers on the table. Eventually, you come back. You face Scott Smith. You lose for the very first time, as you just mentioned. You did get that that loss, and it, you did get it back, and you rebounded, and and you got uh, one more win before heading into the UFC. You lose to Vanderlei Silva in your Octagon debut in a fight of the night performance before winning true straight, including a vicious knockout of of Rich Franklin. I I got two questions on this. Looking back at all the victories specific to your MMA career, not not including your kickboxing career, but specific to your MMA career, is is the Frank Shamrock win, is that the signature win of of your career? And then once you answer that, I've got one more follow-up question on that. I believe against Frank Shamrock, that is my signature win of my career, yeah. Okay. And then this is something my, my co-host had mentioned to me and I, I thought it was interesting, but you know, you mentioned you and Frank being the same age and you obviously started in MMA. You'd been involved in kickboxing and obviously had a very decorated amateur wrestling career, but you've been involved obviously in combat sports for a long time before you got into MMA. Do you, you know, you're talking about God's plan for your life and that sort of thing, but do you feel like you came into the sport you know, 10 years too late? Do you think if you'd started earlier, if MMA had been a thing really earlier that, uh, you know, you, you would have gone a lot farther with it? Or are you, are you happy with the way that it turned out and it just, it is what it is? You know, I, I really don't look back. A lot of people ask me that question and I, I tend, when I do look back, it, 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 it stops me from looking forward. Right. So um, it happened the way it did. There's, unless there's some, you know, if you know of any, like, uh, you know, time travelers, I, I'll go back in time and I'll make some changes. But <laughs> The only one I know is Marty McFly and I think he's retired. So, yeah. So, you know, I, you know, I, I look at, I look at my career as I've been blessed with the career and I was able to fight and I was able to enjoy both strike force and UFC um, and the, you know, the competition in both. And uh, as you know, I mean, Strike Force, the, the competition was just just as good as UFC because look at how many champions that are like you know considered like almost like a goat from yeah. Strike Force going yep. into going into um, you know UFC. Strike Force, you know, developed you know um, DC. Yeah, you know, Ronda Rockhold, Ronda Rousey. I know. Yeah, yeah. So, so many. Yeah, yeah, a lot. So. You know, Scott Coker, he, he's one of those promoters that, you know, he's he comes from a martial arts background and, um, you know, he, he you know, he puts his heart and soul into it. But at the same time, he has that, you know, he cares about the fighters, you know. Absolutely. And, um, so that's that's I think that's the like the big difference when you, you know, it, it's a, sure it's a small fall fight promotion, but with really, really high level fighters. But and it, it was growing. That's why UFC took a threat to them, and they bought him out. Yeah, you know, so yeah, I w- yeah. obviously wish they were still around. <laughs> I think a lot of fans do. Uh, yeah. I, I got two more questions, but before I ask those, anything you want to mention in terms of projects or anything that you you've got coming up? I know you're on Instagram and Twitter at Kung Lee One Eighty Five. Anything you want to mention that's going to be coming out soon? Well, you know, I mean. Um, I, I, I took a little long um, break, you know, with, uh, um, you know, I went through a divorce and, and, um, and, then uh, focusing on my sons, you know, uh, especially my middle son, you know, and then uh, with the case of, um, you know, MMAFA trying to get the Ollie act from boxing right. to, to, um, 
to MMA and then, you know, the class action, I'm representing 1,200 fighters, uh, over 1,200 fighters in the UFC, you know, for a fair market, you know, and and a few other things on that. So, you know, it, it I took a step back. I, you know, I could have kept, I could have continued to make, you know, um, you know, fight and make money, but I, I didn't. And, uh, you know, I, I did some TV projects with my friend Daniel Wu, like Into the Badlands. I've done a few movies and I just, in the last probably year and a half, I just kind of focus on my family and my son and myself and trying to, you know, um, make my, myself more as a, you know, yeah, just to heal up and be more of a like a, a complete father you know friend and you know now that I'm married again you know um husband you know so um you know I think it's time to start uh, rolling things again and um you know see what happens when you know I produce my own films get some uh money pe- behind me from Vietnam and some other investors and see see what happens you know okay without awesome. yeah yeah all right. Well, two, two more questions. I, I've talked about this with some other other folks and other journalists and that sort of thing. And your name is, has been mentioned several times, but uh, so, I, you, you know, feel free to say your, yourself based on your career. But if you think it's somebody else, let us know. But if there is one fighter that really embodies strike force, who, who really comes to mind? Like who represents strike force in your mind um, when you think about your, your time there? Besides myself, yeah. But say, you can say yourself honestly if you think it's you, because you know you really—that's where you got your start. But there's other guys that also have you know kind of had similar careers. If it's you, no problem. But I'm curious, no, no, kind of who I, comes I think, to mind. I think, I think the other person would have to—I would have to say um, uh, DC. It's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's where he got his start and made his bones and and all of that. And there's. You know, again, we, we kind of mentioned it earlier, but there's guys that have made the transition that made the transition from Strike Force to UFC or Bellator and have gone on to, you know, or held gold in both promotions. And so many, uh, Amanda Nunez got her, you know, really got her start there. There's a lot of fighters that, that really got their start, start there. And you got to give a lot of credit to Coker and, you know, Rich Chow and guys like that, that, that spotted that talent and built them up. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, See, I mean, like, like you just mentioned a whole bunch of names, you know? Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I forgot about Amanda, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it's the, a long the, list. It's a long, yeah, it's a long list. list. Yeah. So, and, that's, and you know, and I, I feel blessed, you know, I just, you know, being, uh, being part of strike force and going to the UFC and then right, right away, you know, you know, being co-main events or main events, you know, and head, head, head headlining big shows and even selling out shows in Asia, you know? I've been blessed. Absolutely. And and well-deserved. All right. Well, one one more question before I let you go at the, at the end of the day, strike force and Scott Coker really gave you your start in MMA. So what does strike force mean to Kung Lee? Strike force means my beginning in MMA and um, a lot of good friends and a lot of good fighters and um, it embodies um, a big part of why I am part of the, yeah, you know, the class action uh, uh, lawsuit against UFC. Gotcha. All right. Well, Kung, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us on Inside the Hexagon, and I appreciate it. Much respect to you for all your accomplishments within the sport of MMA and what you're doing now. Much, much respect, and uh, and God bless. Thank you very much. Thanks for the interview, and uh, I'll talk to you uh, hopefully in the future. 
All right, I want to thank my very special guest, Kung Lee, for joining us for today's episode. I really appreciate, again, him taking the time to join us, and I hope that you enjoyed the episode as well. Hope that you're also enjoying the other episodes that we're doing. Looking ahead, we're going to be covering Strike Force Melendez versus Thompson. This is the long-awaited Strike Force lightweight title match between the champion Gilbert El Nino Melendez and the challenger Josh the Punk Thompson. This fight at that point had been brewing for quite a while. We finally get to it. I'm looking forward to covering that. Uh, after that, we're gonna. We're, I, I'm gonna be honest with you. We're still working on our guests. We're gonna see uh, who, who we're able to lock down for that. But we are still working on that. So stay tuned for more information there. But there's lots of really cool stuff that's coming down the the pipeline. So I hope that you have subscribed to us wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to this. You can subscribe to us. You can also find us on social media at Inside the Hexagon Pod. Uh, on both Twitter and on Instagram. And you can reach me at phil at insidethehexagon.com. Would really love to get your direct feedback. What do you think about the show? Uh, you know, things that you would like to see, people you'd like to see on the show. Would love to hear from you, so please do reach out. And also, please remember, if you have not already, to rate and review the show. If you feel like we deserve it, we'd love to get a five-star rating from you. It helps others find the show. But we really appreciate all the support, all the feedback that we're getting, and we hope that that continues and we can continue to deliver deliver the content that you want to hear. But with that, we're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset. Hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy and we'll see you soon. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!